there, skips and skipperettes from all across the vast electronic wasteland known only as Internet Land. And welcome back to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. So every year we divert from our normal episodes to have fun, you know, try something new, or just to air a really interesting interview that's out of our normal jungle genre. By the way, that's a really hard thing to say fast, jungle genre. Now, telling you skipper stories is our number one priority, but today we're going to take a side trip and chat about the unsung heroes of the park, the custodial crew. Our friends over at the Sweep Spot podcast have been documenting the guys in white pants for nearly as long as we have been exploring the rivers of adventure, and they really have an interesting take on the parks. Hosts Lynn and Ken take you into the parks from a broom's eye view, and they've written a new book about the experience. It's called Cleaning the Kingdom, and it's available from their website as well as through Amazon. We chat about this in the episode, and it's a really fascinating read. Now, they're also big fans of our podcast, as well as well as being good friends that we've met along the way. Now, we're really happy to have them along this week for this one-part episode. So having these guys in the show is exciting, but I have even more exciting news for you. As I'm sure you've known if you've been listening to the podcast recently, on October 1st, we launched a Kickstarter for Jungle Rummy, the first card game produced by us folks at Tales from the Jungle Cruise podcast. The Kickstarter has done well, but really it needs your help in the final parts of the campaign. We designed and created a new card game experience in the same vein as Uno or Hearts, and we spice it up with a jungle feel, paying homage to that time period that Adventureland draws inspiration from. Now, it has nothing to do with Disney, but it is a fun two-to-four-person card game, and backing us will help support the podcast and bring more fun games to you in the future. We've already actually started working with an amazing artist for a game next year, but the important thing is that we have to raise a pretty decent chunk of sales uh, pledges in the last 11 days of the campaign to make our stretch goals. Most importantly, it looks like we're going to be able to make a Christmas delivery of the game, and we want to get this into your hands for those cold winter nights in Southern California. And I guess the rest of the world. There's other places out there as well. I don't want this to come across like an NPR fundraising event, but what we do is not cheap, and we keep trying to find you ways to make sure we can bring this podcast to you. If you want to support the only podcast online that tells you the stories of the jungle the way that we do, then go to kickstarter.com and search for Jungle Rummy, R-U-M-M-Y. The campaign ends on October 30th, 2015 at midnight, and we need your help and support. Thanks for helping support Skippertainment. You guys are an amazing audience, and the support you give us is really unique in the podcasting world, and we really acknowledge it. Okay, here we go, Season 5, Episode 8, as we sit down with non-skippers Lynn Barron and Ken Pellman in an episode we like to call A Broom with a View. Kungaloosh, everyone. for Tales from the Jungle Cruise uh, in our fifth season. Today we're chatting with a couple of guys from the Sweep Spot podcast. Now, I know 
that our uh, focus for our show has been on purely Jungle Cruise skippers over the uh, the five years. But uh, these guys have been a lot of fun to chat with in real life. I've been on their show a couple of times. They've come out with a really fantastic book about their experiences cleaning the kingdom. And I thought it would be great to get a different perspective on the jungle, uh, the Disney Disneyland experience. Uh, so with us today is Ken Pellman and Lynn Barron from the Sweep Spot podcast. Hey, Kyle. Guys, hey, it's been a, hey, it's, been, it's nice to be here. It's been a while since we've uh, since we've chatted, Lynn. I, I was able to actually I caught both you guys at the D twenty three Expo, right? And your book had just come out, and I I think it's it's fascinating from a viewpoint that um, well, let's just talk about your guys' history with with the company. When did you guys start working at Disneyland? I'll go first. It's Ken Pellman uh, because I was. Hired in before Lynn for custodial. <laughs> I, I was hired in in uh, June of 1990. So I go all the way back to uh, the old school management still being in place. Jack Lindquist, Ron Dominguez, all those people. And, uh, yeah, so Lynn came aboard later. Okay. I came on at 1998, and I stayed till 2007. Okay. Ken, when did you, uh, when did you stay till? I lasted 15 years and two days before I finally got the hook. And, uh, yeah, so June of 2005. Okay. So do you feel that um, – there's a perception that I have coming from uh, primarily attractions. I did a lot of other things there as well. But um, do you feel that there are perceptions of the the custodial team that maybe are – uh, either unfair or not really representative of what you guys did for the parks. Well, there was always, uh, you know, not as much among the cast, uh, more along the casual guest. Um, yeah. More more frequent guests were usually uh, more of our allies <laughs> and uh, other cast members too. It was it was kind of you know there were some people when they would hire in. Like they'd come for the college program or whatever, and their parents would their parents would contact Disney and, and say, uh, "How dare you assign my kid to custodial?" <laughs> <laughs> you know things like that, or it's just like you know, oh, you're just you know you're just a janitor and you're just cleaning up and you know it's not really that important and you must be an idiot you know sort of thing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, cool. that, that yeah that wasn't. Uh, it wasn't so much with the cast members or the long-term guests. It was more the casual guests sort of thing. Yeah. I, I preferred the more formal guests. When they came in, you know, a uh, tie, tuxedo, a nicer dress, <laughs> they were always much more polite. It's the really casual ones that were in the flip-flops and the uh, yoga pants. <laughs> that would never end well. Yeah. Do, do you feel that that perception changed as the park? Um, because obviously as the 90s drew to a close, I think that the – the evolution of the theme park experience had changed greatly. Did you see that perspective from the custodial side of things? Oh, we were, then we were there through a lot of changes. I mean, yeah, I'm just trying to think. So you're definitely, you know, when Disney's California adventure opened Mm -hmm. that, like you said, it, we needed more people. So I think in a way it's sad to say, but our, the standards had to be dropped a little bit. Well, and even going back, I mean, I was really targeting at the start more of the 95 era, which I think is when oh, yeah. with Indiana Jones coming in and the the Jungle Cruise uh, rehab. Uh, by the way, look how sneaky I am at uh, putting the Jungle Cruise into this podcast recording. Love it. Uh, but I think that was a, 
a major shift in the park because Indiana Jones was the first kind of major attraction that they'd had since maybe, I don't know, Splash Mountain. Um, you know, it was a big, big deal. There were two-hour, three-hour lines for it. And I think that, for me, was the genesis of a lot of things that would come later. Um, I mean, what was the what was the tone that you were seeing at, at that point in the park? I mean, was it a, a noticeable shift for you? I started to notice changes. Um, this, you know, I, I welcomed Indiana Jones. It was a long time coming. Uh, but the park management had shifted. So uh, things were kind of... Uh, changing all over and we were the park was being run by people who weren't people who had come up through the ranks within the park operations so that changed a lot of things and we did go from you know when i hired in there you there's no way you would make lead in less than two years Mm -hmm. you know uh and you know then later on there were people (laughs) being made lead after three months (laughs) i mean it was just it was and then and consequently Leads, the the power of the leads changed. Lead the word of leads used to be golden. I mean, if a lead said this guy is no good, get rid of him. Uh, that carried weight, you know. But when you have a lead who's only themselves been in the park for five months, you know, no one's going to listen to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm sure that that was not just from that aspect. I'm sure that was foods. I'm sure that was, you know, operations, attractions. There were just a ton of new people coming through the. Uh, the turnstiles at casting at that point. Right. I mean, you had yeah. to fill the ranks and uh, then with the resort expansion. I mean, well, the economy was booming, remember, mm-hmm. and you know, the dot-com boom and everything. In the 90s, you had this thing where, you know, everywhere you went, places were open 24 hours. So everybody had a help-wanted sign. So who's going to go work for Disneyland if they can make more money somewhere else? So it became sort of this thing where uh, it the – they weren't as picky in hiring cast members. Mm-hmm. So what was, you know, when you come in the door and you've gone through the casting process and what's the training process like for custodial? What's the, what's the initiation into that world? Because, you know, I mean, every area has its own very specific way that it treats training. They, Lynn, yeah. Lynn you, you got, you got hired later than me. <laughs> you yeah. go for it. Uh, yeah, I would say probably, you know, just kind of mainly probably like, like attractions, they, you know, they would show you around the areas and, and show you where you're going to be working. And then they would, um, do a lot of classroom training for custodio, uh, you know, going through procedures and, uh, a lot of safety things, obviously, um, you know, and then they'd push you out into the area and let you try it and, it was, I don't know, pretty easy. And of course, if if you had never worked that particular task before in that particular area, yeah. then ideally the foreman would say, "Oh, here, let me show you," or or this other experienced cast member is going to show you. So, we're in general, did you find, uh, you know, because obviously attractions, you work one area. Mm-hmm. Um, was it segmented? Did you have people who just worked Tomorrowland custodial? People who just worked. Toontown, or was it a little bit more rotation oriented? Probably more rotation oriented, but yeah. you, a lot of people did have preferences. If if they had enough seniority, they could they could probably pull off just working in Tomorrowland. 
Yes, when we were there, uh, it was only the the A's, you know, the people who had been there for a long time with a lot of seniority who would would stick to one area. Um, everybody else would get moved around. It, summer summer would be an exception, and we go into detail about that in the book. But summer, you would pick a line that was called, and that was going to be your shift for the summer. It was one area usually, and it's the same time every day. But otherwise, you know, different times of day, different areas. You, you figure, as an attractions host, you might get trained on a few different attractions. But in custodial, you work everywhere. You work parking structure. You work restrooms. You work Toontown. You work Tomorrowland. Uh, you got moved everywhere. So one day you could be in Tomorrowland. The next day you could be in Critter Country. And uh, so you got to learn the whole park. Now, did you find that that lack of specialization had a downside? I found it to have an upside because yeah. it was less monotony. Um, the downside was really minimal in the sense that, you know, you would get somebody to your area who maybe had been at the park for a month or whatever, but you still didn't know who they were. And you'd had to, you had to ask, you know, is, is this person physically capable of, like, doing, you know, dumping trash? Uh, or, you know, because sometimes you would assign somebody and then they'd come around the corner and they'd be, like, you know, some uh, really frail-looking uh, senior citizen. And you're like, no, they're not going to be able to push these heavy trash carts around and stuff like that. So the downside was it took a while to get to, to know everybody. Uh, but it was overall, I, I liked that because I got to work in different places. But I, we understand now that it's more more of the shifts are, are more set. They're more, uh, you know, it's it's more likely that more of the sweepers now are going to be working the same area year-round as opposed to just summer. Mm-hmm. Now, within the, the ranks on the custodial side, was there, was it just an ombudsman job or would you be given a position just sweeping or just doing bathrooms or whatever it would be? Yeah. uh, We go into great detail about this in the book, like how uh, you would get assigned to restrooms and you would, you would get uh, a split of restrooms. So you're going to get like, you know, three, four, five, six restrooms to cover um, for the day. Uh, if you get assigned to, you might get assigned to, for example, Adventure Frontier was considered an area, and the foreman would assign you to the specific task you were going to do. Like, you know, you're going to sweep lines, or you're going to cover Adventureland, or you're going to dump trash. And, you know, they might change you during the day depending on uh, what was happening, but usually what you got assigned for that day, you would stick with all day. Mm-hmm. Now, the... Um you know, within attractions, there were definitely some some zones and areas and attractions you didn't want to work. Uh, I mean, was there was there a spot where the troublemakers got sent, or where it was you know it was the punishment duty, or it was just un- less pleasant to work than in the other areas? Mm, a lot of it was preference. I think I think a lot there was people that didn't like working around the guests or the crowds, and those would be like esplanade or a uh, parking structure or parade building, uh, you know, cleaning the floats for the parade. Uh, and then there was, you know, people that didn't mind being around the guests. I think Ken was one of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was both. I, I, some days I liked to be away and some days I was, um, but yeah, I don't think there was really a, like a troublemaker place, but, uh, within so what, each area you might yeah. like the lead might. Yeah. So then what was um, – I mean, that's a good, a good segue into guest interaction. Um, you know, did you feel that 
you had a really good license to interact with guests. Oh, we were custodial yeah. guest services was the name of our department by the time we were, yeah. you know, there a few years. Uh, they really wanted us to interact with the guests, which is something that kind of shifted over the years. Um, earlier on, previously, the uh, the sweepers were kind of supposed to be invisible. Uh, you kind of would do your thing and, and be quiet and slip through the crowds and and that sort of thing, kind of stealth. Uh, but then they started changing our costumes, made us more visible, gave us pouches to carry maps with and things like that. And they wanted us to interact with the guests some more. They wanted us to actually uh, go and, and, you know, seek them out and interact with them as much as possible to make sure they were getting what they needed. Um, you know, when I was asking about the, the which areas to work, I would normally assume that Tomorrowland would be a problem uh, because you had to deal with talking garbage cans. <laughs> And then, you know, you had to be trained to be able to use the drumsticks to really make the, the music. I mean, that, that really seems like it was intense to, you know, to be expected to be part of a band as well as custodial. That was, uh, that was tough, right? Yeah, well, that's, yeah. yeah. Fortunately, Lynn was already a drummer. Yeah. That's why I was hired in. <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we, we better clear that up because someone is going to think that we're being serious about that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, Sarcastic. <laughs> they never, yeah. They were. We would interact with Trash Can Trio, though. We would, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, if I if I knew they were coming out to do a set, I'd look over at them and say, "Hey guys, take a break," you know. And then they would start the routine, and <laughs> I like doing that. And then I tell them to get back to work at the end of the routine, you know, that sort of thing. Do a never got gu- never got paid extra for that though. Yeah, do a little air guitar on the broom, and you know. <laughs> So was there was there um, and we, I guess I hit the question of you know was there an area that was less pleasant was there something that really was um, something that when you got that assignment you were really looking forward to it uh, for well it, for us particularly uh, I mean I I really asked to just cover the areas especially the west side I said you know I prefer west side. Uh, I would rather do that than, you know, work out in the parking structure or whatever. But in general, people might seek out like the restroom lead shifts because it was the highest pay, uh, that they could get because there was a premium on not only being a lead, but doing restrooms. Um, so it's just different people. You have parade building where you're cleaning the floats and you don't don't have anybody supervising you directly all the time and (laughs) you're you're out of the crowds, you know. Now, what was that? What would that entail? I mean, it's something that I had not realized that custodial was involved with. Uh, What was the the float uh, cleaning? uh, What did it involve? Each parade had its own issues. You know, like the Christmas uh, parade floats would have uh, the snow. I don't know, the fake snow. Uh, so we'd blow that off the floats and some of the other floats, like there was the globe that Ariel, I think it was Ariel was in. Is that right? There was like a clear globe that she was yeah. in in the 50th parade, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'd have to get inside the globe and, you know, clean it like a window. Uh, so each each float had its own things. And then uh, we take care of the parade building because there's a lot of electricians and people that would fix the floats back there, and we would take care of the break rooms and clean the floors and uh, that sort of thing. But that would be a, a prime shift, too. That was another thing. It was like 7 to 3.30. So that's, yeah, was, yeah, get out of there a little early yeah. and have a real day. Right. So I think a lot of people wanted that shift. I, I finally was able to get it just like my last year there. On on Sundays, 
<laughs> and another one was Tom Sawyer Island. Oh yeah. Um, so usually, you, you know, when uh, for a long time there'd be somebody with a lot of seniority who wasn't a lead who would just say, you know, I want Tom Sawyer Island because there was a lot of sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it, you were supposed to go around and make sure the, the, the dirt was clean and the trash cans were, were not overflowing. And the, there were a couple of restrooms on the island back in those days. There were really small restrooms. Uh, and if one guest was using them, you couldn't clean them because it was pretty much occupied. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so uh, that was kind of what we would call cake. Uh, <laughs> well, and, hey, you know, on that you could actually put on your resume, I helped keep dirt clean. That's that's a beautiful oxymoron right there. That's true. <laughs> so the um you know I know that there were there were people I spoke with who part of their you know they came on working custodial and then their intention was to transfer somewhere else. Was it ever a temptation that you wanted to branch out and do different things or once you got into it and realized the positive aspects that was really where you felt like you were at home? Yeah. Me, yeah, for me yeah. Ken, I I I was just 17 when I hired in, and uh, I eventually wanted to get into Imagineering, mm-hmm. you know, and I figured that th- this would be a nice job to have while I was in college or whatever. I never did want to transfer to any other operations job because I did not want to be stuck at a register or stuck pushing a button or repeating really, really lame jokes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but if, if I if I ever did want to do any, I, there were a couple of things I said, well, if I ever was a ride operator, I would like to do Jungle Cruise. Or if I was ever in uh, stores, I would like to work Disney Gallery. You know, but it was like, I just, I liked custodial. I liked being able to move around. I liked being able to go places as part of my responsibilities that other people wouldn't get to go. And, also places where I wasn't told to go, but I went anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? well, I like being able to explore and that sort of thing and not be stuck in one place. Well, and that, that hits a really interesting point because one of the things that I saw from the, um, you know, the traditions classes and things like that, uh, and even the little bit of interaction that I would have with the, the onboarding, um, would be that people uh, from custodial were not – they weren't the least qualified or they weren't the people without personalities. You know, absolutely there was a great level because there was a responsibility um, because they were a little bit less uh, supervised. You know, maybe there's a little bit less, you know, uh, you know, they're not going to hit the wrong button on a, a roller coaster and, you know, have an accident. But I still think there's a level of responsibility that they were trusted with. So they really did seem to be some responsible uh, very, you know, intelligent people who would work it. It was not the rejects of the casting process. Well, no. we would have to, there were a lot of times we would have to drive vehicles around backstage, uh, move, or if you're doing the parade floats, you might have to move the parade floats themselves. There are people who are trained to do that. Um, operating the trash compactor, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there used to be anybody could walk by and press the button. Then they started when when we started getting uh, Kalosha cracked down on everything. It became you know you had to operate it with a key and only certain people had the keys. Uh-huh. But you know you wanted to make sure. Some there were times people had to actually go into the packer to get something or whatever, and you wanted to to stand guard and make sure nobody pushed the button. <laughs> yeah. So we well, we did operate heavy machinery and we did drive vehicles. Yeah. Well, and that's you know it's you really. You know, other than the fact that you, you, I'm sure, had some accountability over the radio or the leads, I mean, you kind of did your own thing within the scope of your job. 
yeah, there's a lot of freedom. And that was appealing to me because you could, like you're saying, we would venture off. I mean, at closing time, we, as long as our area was closed, we, we had a lot of freedom to, you know, we would walk through attractions at night, which was kind of fun and Haunted Mansion and, uh, I don't know, just things that, you know, Disney I mean, I mean geeks we, we had like. a lot to do. I mean, so yeah. it, it wasn't like it was just like, I mean, yeah, we had a lot of freedom, but in that freedom, we had to get these things done. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. If you didn't get them done, it was going to be readily apparent that you hadn't done them. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, and, and when, it, I said, when I said freedom, it's more along the, the range where you're being self-directed. Correct. A lot of self-direction. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a problem if your lead had to constantly uh, follow you. <laughs> yeah. That wasn't a good thing. So it, the idea, ideally, you would get assigned a task, and you could be counted on to take care of that. Whether it was covering, you know, Adventureland and making sure that you're doing your 15 minute round there, or whether it was covering restrooms, and making sure you're doing your hour round there. And this is all stuff we get into great detail with in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm not trying to scoop things out. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, take away the good stuff from the content. I, I really think it's an interesting book, and we'll talk about how uh, people should get it and where they can get it toward the end of this. Um, you know, obviously you're working at a place like Disneyland, you're working at Disneyland and there are opportunities to have very interesting moments as part of the job. Do you want to just share some of your stories that, uh, like I said, I don't want to mine the book and get all the good stuff out of it, but you know, were there some specific stories that kind of sum up the way that you felt about your, your, your time there or just some really interesting moments? I, uh, I keep waiting for Linda to jump. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to monopolize the time, but um, no, I, I, there are various stories in there. Um, you know, helping lost children. Uh, I mean, who's out in the area the the most? It's it's the custodial people. We're the people who are actually supposed to be in the area, not just walking from one place to the other in the area, but we're there. I mean, we're out in the area, so often we would get lost children and things like that. And being able to to reassure them and help them and reunite parents with with their children, uh, nine times out of ten, we we would reunite them before we could get the kid down to lost children. Sure. Uh, so you know that's the kind of thing we 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 talk about in the book. Uh, there's uh, just bumping into celebrities while we're just out cleaning, you know, mm-hmm. and. Uh, um, Guests, regular guests that would stop by that, uh, not just the casually dressed guests, but the, the, the ones with the top hats, no, but the, the diehard uh, <laughs> enthusiasts who would come through. And it was always nice to chat with, with, uh, with people who became our friends because we would see them visiting like every week or whatever, and they would stop by for a brief chat. Um, gosh, I mean, there's, you know, there's just so many things uh, that people don't even think about. They just think, they just think oh, janitor. You know, pan and broom, mop, whatever. You mm-hmm. know, no, there's just, it's just so much more to it than that. So, with, within the scope, I mean, what were there specific moments that you had either with, you know, I like celebrity stories, they're fun, but, you know, I mean, other moments that were, uh, you know, just interesting, you know? For me, uh, you know, things like I, I really liked exploring um, mm-hmm. because I really liked to know how the park was put together. Uh, since I had been interested in theme park design and 
you know, getting to go to the top of the Matterhorn. Uh, we, I did that exactly once. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, was, I, it was, you know, during, that was that was between regular operating hours and the start of grad night, and so we uh-huh. took the opportunity to go up there, or watching the fireworks from behind the pilot house of the Mark Twain while it was in dock. Uh-huh. Um, things like that, that uh, or, or even standing on West Street, uh, resort expansion was starting, and the city had vacated West Street, and so it was behind uh, walls. It was like like it was usurped on a Disney property, but it was t- it was still West Street, and it's just still sitting there, looking like a street, but it's completely empty, and uh, kind of you know standing on there, it was really bizarre. Well, and then you know you were in that in that period too, where the Disneyland. Uh, Hotel had changes. The monorail changed. I mean, you know, the um, uh, the restaurant at the the monorail got taken out. I mean, there's a lot of changes happening in that that area over the time you were there. Oh, I got to watch uh, not only the resort expansion, but got to watch Indiana Jones. I mean, I was there early enough that I got to watch Indiana Jones be built from the ground up. Splash Mountain. I, I'm not, not sorry. Splash Mountain is what. I, happened just before I came there, and I watched that as an annual pass holder, but uh, Fantasmic and Toontown and just, you know, tomorrow in 1998, and watching these things take shape and the before and the after and, and being there during the construction, and um, one of the things I did was was walk on the, uh, walk the entire indie track while it was still being painted, and, you know, so it wasn't even close to being open, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So now let's, um, I guess let's segment a little bit because we do want people to go and, you know, get the book and be entertained. Um, so let's talk about what brought you guys to do a podcast and then eventually a book. Uh, because, you know, I think I've, I've said this before, probably on your show, I've said it a million times. There, there's definitely a glut of Disney podcasts out there. And there's some, that, you know, there's a category that are kind of repetitive and they're kind of, you know, Everyone's trying to do kind of the same thing. And then there's some real niche market podcasts, uh, which I put my, my show into and yours. And there's, you know, uh, definitely a handful of others. But, but what, what was your impetus for, for going forward with that? I was writing a, a blog at first for uh, Wedway Radio. It's a podcast. And I found that in the blog I was writing stuff about working in Custodio. And but I really like Disneyland history, so um, Nate Parrish of Wedway Radio he was telling me that you know you guys you have a real niche because you you're a custodian and you worked at Disneyland so that's something unique right there. A lot of podcasts out there didn't have former cast members on the mm-hmm. on there. Um, yours was one of the few at the time, and uh, so he kind of encouraged me to, and I, I said, well, I'm not much of a talker, you know, and I'd rather write than talk. And, um, so I just dove into it and Ken was my first choice and he was unavailable at the time. So, uh, he came on as a guest now and then, and a couple years later, he was finally had the time to do it. And so he joined me, but as far as the book, it was something that Ken probably had in mind all along, but we would work together at Disneyland and we were friends and we would work uh, areas. I would sometimes be in New Orleans and he'd be in Adventureland and we'd um, meet up and have lunch and talk. And we would share our stories about what would happen, what happened to us during our shift or the other day. Or, and we'd had some funny stories or interesting and um, scary stories or just different things. And, you know, we both said, yeah, we got to write this stuff down. We, we could probably write a book about all this. And I kind of didn't think, 
that we would, but um, we started doing the podcast, and so we would talk more often, and we just kind of started throwing the idea around, and I said, let's start, and we just started, and it just led to what is a 460-page book now. <laughs> yeah. So what what year, I mean, how long has the, pod, has the podcast been out and around? Four and a half years. Yeah, and you guys are you guys are weekly, right? Uh, bi-weekly. Yeah. Bi-weekly. Or wait, what was it? Yeah, two times a month. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, bi-weekly bi- and bi-monthly bi- both mean the exact same thing. So. Yeah, that's true. Um. So what's the re- what's the response been? I mean, I when you're at D23 Expo or you're talking with people about the book, uh, I mean, do they? Because obviously, I. I have a great level of surprise and interest in it, and it's not what I expect. Mm-hmm. What What's the reaction been that you guys have had? It's been surprisingly that uh, obviously a lot of people interested in it were uh, former custodians, and we had a lot of people that it brought back a lot of memories. You know, uh, they would tell us, wow, you know, I worked there in 1970, you know, whatever, and we didn't even work with these people, and they just said how much it brought back memories and, and how much they really enjoyed it. And uh, that made us feel good about that. But then there was people that didn't have any idea about custodial and, and the behind the scenes stuff that we talk about. And they were really impressed with, I had no idea custodio did that or did, or how you did this or, you know. Um, so I would say it's been very good, the response. And as far as the podcast, it's, it, that's also been really good and, yeah. Well, and you've had some fantastic guests on the show as well, because Ken, you had a, a a deep history with the park, and you knew a lot of people, and you guys have been able to network well. Uh, so you've had some really engaging guests on the show. Oh yeah, we've been lucky. Yeah, we've you know Bob Gurr, Raleigh Crump, Tony Baxter, um, Garner Holt. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, Silverman, the the voice of uh, Mark Silverman. Yeah, yeah. I mean we've. We've we've had a lot of uh, great guests, and um, we get we, we do bring a unique perspective. And even with the book, it's you know there's if you read a lot of Disney, a lot of books about Disneyland, or a lot of websites and stuff like that. I mean, even if you do that, there's probably some gaps in your knowledge of the history or the operation of the place that the book is going to fill in. So it's kind of a different perspective because I know there's a lot of Disneyland books now, and but we thought we have something unique to to, to offer. Yeah, no, and I definitely, uh, I know, I definitely agree. I definitely think that uh, that it is a different perspective. What you know, when you go as a guest now, what is the the view that you take into the park that might be a little different than someone who's been a different type of cast member or even just a regular guest? That that's interesting because I was thinking about that the other day, and I kind of look at the park in in several different ways. I look at it as a, a former cast member. I look at it as a place that I went to as a child with my parents growing up, and then another place having a, a pass and going as a pass holder and going with my wife. Uh, well, she wasn't my wife at the time, but eventually would be my wife. Um, we would just go there, you know, every. Friday night or something just for the fun of it as pass holders. And then I, then I would work there and you know, that had its, all its memories, but going there, I think in, in a way you probably know this too, cause you kind of know some of the shortcuts and the secrets and, well, you don't want to be in this area at this time because the fireworks are going to end and we're going to be you know, stuck here. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, although a lot of those rules are just totally out because they're the, yeah. the park's capacity is, uh, 
you know, being met so regularly that you don't get to to do some of those sneaky tricks. That's true. Um, although, you know, it's, it is still yeah. nice knowing that the, I guess the one thing on attractions is occasionally I'll find someone that I know and I can, you know, cut through a line a little bit quicker or, you know, do something a little bit more fun like that. But yeah. it's, it's not as regular as it used to be. Um, but I guess what I was more wondering was, you know, there's an old Mark Twain quote that I've always, it's always stuck with me that, um, once you learn the dangers of something or learn how something works, you no longer are able to see the beauty of it. And it was in regard to, to riverboats and, you know, that once you go on the riverboat as a captain or a pilot, you know, you stop seeing the beauty of the river and you can only see the dangers and only see what makes it work. Do you feel that because of the intenseness of your backstage experience that the, the view of the magic is either changed or diminished. It, it, it has to change. There's no, there's no way it can't not change. I mean, you've got to, you've got to find it in a new way. The magic is still there. Uh, you know, especially if you take somebody, you take kids or you take somebody who's never been before, um, and you can see it all over again. You just got to find it in a new way. And, you know, because you do know how the sausage is made, so to speak. Sorry to all you vegetarians out there. Uh, you can, you, it's like, all right, you know, I can appreciate just how good of a job they're doing right now, mm-hmm. you know, with something. It's like, you know, wow, it, you know, when I hired in, the park would get 12 million people a year, and then it got up to about 15 million a year. Now it's like 17 million a year. 19. And it's like, 19, I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. And yeah, it's not, like, not even counting DCA, which puts another, you know, right. six or seven uh, it's, million. It's on just it. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But it's like, it's like, hey, you know, they're really doing a great job here. And I will actually, uh, you know, most, when the times I go, since I have like a real job, you know, that's, you know, Monday through, it's actually Monday through Thursday. But, you know, I often don't see the people I used to work with because they're either retired or they're working shifts where I'm not going to be in there. So I'm seeing people that I don't know. And I, but I'll still go up to them and I'll go, hey, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm actually I'm often carrying a copy of the book. <laughs> I go. I wrote this book. And it's dedi- <laughs> I said it's dedicated to you. Believe it or not, and I want to want to let you know I'm a fan and I appreciate what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And do you? I mean, obviously the the workload. I'm sure there's a lot more people there because of the the trafficking. But you know, it just. Uh, I look at now versus 2001, 2002, and not only is there tons more people, but I I just see a lot of water bottles being thrown into planters and people just dropping trash. And I'm sure that that always existed, but with the, you know, 60,000 people at Disneyland, I've just got to imagine that that puts a huge strain on the custodial staff. And and I would think also, I see custodial people also helping out by form, uh, formally doing guest control Mm -hmm. as opposed, opposed to just, you know, kind of helping out with guest control. Uh, so I don't even know what the story is there. I mean, oh, yeah. they must be pulling people out of the areas to say, okay, you're going to help with guest control because at night it's just so crazy that, you know, okay, you're going to, you're, you know, you have an eight hour shift and, you know, three hours of it are going to be sweeping and then like two hours you're going to be guest control and then you're going to be, you know, it's like, wow, this is, <laughs> so it must be a lot of strain. Now with the constant price increases, uh, 
you I don't know if that really makes the crowd less messy because it's it's kind of dicey because there are you know there are a lot of people think that you know if, if somebody's uh, low low class they're going to be dirty which isn't necessarily the case <laughs> no. it's not necessarily the case because you know what there's people who are who are who are really well off who are just used to just leaving everything trashed and having other people clean up after them so it's it's weird it, I you know. It, it, you get different crowds depending on the event that's going on. And regardless of how of how um, how much money someone makes, I think that there are people who are entitled and feel entitled about things, regardless of where they go, regardless of their income level. Uh, and it's the same thing with you know people who feel about Disney that they have an entitlement that you know gives them some level of ownership in the park. Correct. Uh, you know, when when Walt said, you know, Disneyland is your land, a lot of people took it very seriously. <laughs> oh yes, very seriously. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you know, where where do you see? I mean, where's the sweep spot going from here? What what type of things do you guys have in mind for the show? Um, you know, what what do you think it can bring in the future that continues that you know that you haven't hit before? Well, we're, we're getting a lot of people. Sorry, Lynn. We're, okay. we're, I wanted to say we're getting a lot of people who who have read the book, who have said, "Oh, you know, I worked there back in the '70s or the early '80s or whatever," and we we did we didn't know them to interview them for the book. So now we want they they want to come on the podcast. So mm-hmm. we're making arrangements. We'll probably have a lot more uh, former cast members on the podcast coming up over the next several months. Uh, to tell their stories and 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 all of that because uh, you know that's one of the ways we're we're going to be going. Well, that's kind of what happened with with me is that you know we had my generation the 03 to 07 crowd you know was the first few people and then you know I started talking to the the mid 90s and then the 80s and 70s and 60s and we've got two more guys that we're talking to who uh, who worked in the 50s. Uh, we've got a guy who in the 70s helped write the script for the the attraction. I mean, so yeah, it just kind of cascades as you go back farther and you get referrals. Hey, this guy was my trainer. He was really cool. You know, it just brings people to your door. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, our next show is going to have uh, a cast member that we worked with, and he started in 1962. So, yeah. yeah, just I think that the podcast started out as a history podcast and then – as we would talk about a certain attraction, we would throw in our stories within that attraction, like working around that attraction mm-hmm. uh, and from a custodial point of view. But it still is that way. But we also want to feature other custodians or other cast members. You know, we had you on the show or mm-hmm. we've had um, Imagineers. And I just want it to be mainly focused on Disneyland because, I mean, there's so much just Disney out there that. I mean, you have to focus yeah. somewhere. So. Yeah, and we're going to continue to cover current events as yeah. well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of news coming up over the next couple of years, and so we cover you know what the current events are as well as getting into the historical aspects. Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting too because uh, I I don't see for Star Wars Land um, how custodial people will be able to bend over while they're wearing the stormtrooper armor, but I think it's great that they're going to put some you know uh, some custodial cast members in costume. That's going to be awesome. I, th- I think they might actually try to get them in as Jawas. Well, you know, they do like child labor. Child labor is uh, <laughs> what that park was founded on. Put the kids to work. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, I, sand people, maybe. Sand people would be interesting. Uh, <laughs> just, don't, just don't put me in a Wookiee costume. 
Yeah, that would be awfully hard to keep clean. They won't have custodians. Uh, I'll have just droids that'll just. You know, they will. Shh, Lynn, don't tell them that. They might do it. <laughs> Roombas. Roombas. Like, you know, super Roombas. Will be go. You know, new Marvel character, Trash Man. <laughs> well, I mean, really, you just get BB-8 and you put a vacuum cleaner attachment on him, and you're good to go. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, um, if there's anything else, let's first of all say where can people get the book because that's an important thing. If we're going to tell them that it's great, where can they get it? Well, the book's called Cleaning the Kingdom, and you, the best place to get it would be at our website, www.thesweepspot.com, mm-hmm. and there you will get a autographed copy of the book um, by me because I'm I, – Ken and I – Ken lives in Anaheim, and I'm in Utah – so mm-hmm. I do a lot of the, I do most of the sending out of the books, but um, so I will sign it, and then um, you know if you live local, you can have Ken sign it too. Um, or if you're, if you're going to visit the resort, maybe right. I can sign it. Yeah. yeah, but that's the best place to get it. And then if you need to get it, uh, we are also on Kindle or Amazon. But if you buy it on Amazon, look for the seller under Cleaning the Kingdom called the Sweep Spot, and then that that'll come from. Us yeah, that way you'll get it quickly, and you'll get it. You'll get it autographed if you buy it. Another way you might not. Yeah. And of course, uh, of course, it's not only on Kindle, but it's on Nook. Uh, we just can't autograph the Kindle or Nook version. I mean, it'll oh. kind of mess up your screen if we do that. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. tougher. And uh, and Ken, let's not tell Lynn this, but maybe uh, I'll get you a copy of the Jungle Rummy card game. We'll trade for a copy of the book. <laughs> But just and don't, I, don't, I, tell Lynn, no, don't tell Lynn. No. And I really, I really, I don't, I don't think the jokes on the Jungle Cruise are lame. I actually like them a lot. So no, no, no. I, do, you, do you guys have of all of the things that are there, attraction wise? Uh, what, what's the softest spot in your heart? Oh, for me, definitely. There's no question about it. It's Splash Mountain, and I, some of our. Uh, Old pod, there's an old podcast in our, our, our free archives that uh, covers why. I also wrote about it on LaughingPlace.com. If you ever if you Google uh, something called the original Splashtronauts, uh, <laughs> it tells you what uh, what happened. And uh, uh, because I was among the first guests to ride, it's it's got a big place in my heart. Cool. I, I love the uh, YouTube. There's a lot of the videos from the 80s uh, that have surfaced from the advertisements that were on the local TV stations, oh, yeah. and and they are hilarious. They are just fantastically funny. So splash for cash, McDonald's. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Lynn, how about you? What, what's what's the thing that uh, sits closest to your heart? Which is, I guess, your lungs. But other than that, <laughs> uh, my favorite attraction is Pirates Caribbean. I think it's. Um, it's what Disneyland is, um, as far as with the animatronics and just puts you in another. You feel like you're in, in another world when you go in. Yeah. Uh, have you guys been to um, to other parks like Orlando and yeah. and uh, tried to see if the East Coast West Coast rivalry for custodial is there? Is it uh, you know do do you see a difference? Are they just the same kind of you know custodial people that you would have worked with just on a different coast? Or are they crazy Floridians? <laughs> well, yeah. Whenever I visit there, I go tipping over the trash cans and throwing yeah. popcorn everywhere. Yeah, I, I stop and I do a dance and whistle routine, and you know, it's like the whole West Side Story type thing. But um, this one's for uh, Biggie, and you know. Well, I think they they operate a little bit differently over there in terms of responsibilities. Like I, I was once like in Epcot, and I watched some guy sweeping the area, and then he went in to cover a, a restroom, and I'm like, "So you cover the restroom and sweep the area?" And he goes, "Yeah." And I go, "Oh, I, I work over at Disneyland. We would never do it that way." But <laughs> so it's it's different. It's a different situation out there. 
Well, guys, that uh, I think that brings it to a good wrap-up place so we can get this all in one episode. Uh, on top of the thank you for having me on the show in the past and thank you for coming on to uh, Tales from the Jungle Cruise, uh, thanks for the friendship because you guys have been uh, a great source for me to bounce ideas back and forth off of over the years. And uh, I think that we we really represent two of the more devoted niche podcasts that are out there that really have a, a different voice than what you hear from a, a lot of the other things that are happening. So I really appreciate that you have um, that style and that feel to the way that you're doing your, your show. Great. Yeah. I've, well, thank you. And, yeah, thank and thank you. you for having us, you know, and, uh, and I, I kind of envy the jungle cruise skippers. Uh, I, one of the things I mentioned in the book is that I like to, to crack jokes as often as possible with the guests, except when they asked where the restroom was. So I guess maybe I was kind of a frustrated wannabe jungle cruise skipper. You know, at, at heart, most people are because it is uh, the pinnacle of, of, you know, human evolution <laughs> is to be a jungle cruise skipper. There's really nothing else that matches that level. Hey, so. you know, I'm a huge Weird Al fan and he did a whole yeah. song devoted he to did. jungle cruise skippers. So that it's got to be the pinnacle. Well, you know, it's culturally, I mean, you know, well, and you guys, I know you guys are occasional listeners to the show as well. And, you know, you've heard me say it is the, the cornerstone of what the park was about in 1955 was the Jungle Cruise. And it has continued, uh, you know, it's waxed and waned a little bit in popularity, but boy, I've seen, you know, hour long lines, you know, very recently where the entire upper queue is full. Uh, and I think it's definitely had a renaissance, uh, in the last 10 years about the way, uh, it's looked at and the, the type of humor. So no, no, I think it's, I think it's the center of Disneyland. I don't care if people think it's the hub. And, and your podcast, your podcast helps that along. Yeah, I, I like to spread information that supports my theories. Uh, that way, I can self-reference myself on Wikipedia. It's a really a lot easier than having to use real facts and figures. Good so. idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks so much uh, to all the listening audience. Thank you for tuning in to Tales from the Jungle Cruise. Uh, I know it's a little different of an episode, but I, I like these guys, and I think uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, to everyone out there, I wish you guys a, con- a hearty and happy Kungaloosh, and we will see you guys in the jungle.